Welcome to season three of the Medicare Meetup. I'm Meg Kepke, and together with Melissa Cohen, we meet monthly to make sense of Medicare news and policy with our colleagues and guests. This podcast is brought to you by Arrera Health Group, a mission-focused policy and strategy and operations practice committed to making healthcare more equitable, affordable, accessible, and high quality for all. On today's show, we kick off with a review of all the summer Medicare news, and there's a lot of it. We'll talk Inflation Reduction Act, proposed physician fee schedule changes, retrospective trend adjustments in APMs, and RFIs galore. But first, Melissa, welcome back. Season three is here and fall is in the air. The end of democracy is nigh. We're going to spend a good part of the podcast discussing the puts and takes of changes to Medicare and proposed changes published for comment over the summer. But some days, even Medicare and aging policy and all of its enormous complexity and importance seems insignificant in light of other burning issues. How do you maintain hope and resilience? Well, that's a light and airy question to kick us off. Let's see. My kids keep me pretty humble. I'm not sure that's hope and resilience, but they remind me of how doing small things every day affect people's lives, like, say, remembering to bring the right snacks at pickup. I think in some ways you can translate that to health policy. The problems can seem big and insurmountable, but the people that have really shown these last two years in the pandemic have been doing the work of patient care, caregiving, day in and day out, not necessarily solving the policy problems of healthcare in America today, but touching people's lives. I heard you say bring more snacks, and I couldn't agree more. But in all seriousness, I, I, heard, I hear you returning to the individuals, the human beings, the patients in this. And maybe that's why I'm such a fan of incremental change. I know we've gotten into it in the past in the podcast about, you know, whether we should be advocates for, you know, bold and aggressive changes. And, you know, you need to be fearless in this industry. And that's what Medicare demands um, to really make the change we need. But yeah, I put my faith in one foot in front of the other because that's sometimes all that we can do. Well, with our hope renewed and our spirits buoyed, let's turn to Medicare news and the busy summer we've just had. Busy indeed. Let's start with the Inflation Reduction Act basics. Breda, welcome back to season three. Can you help our listeners think about these changes in context? How big a deal is this for Medicare Part D? I think it's a very big deal. Let's go over what was included in the law. So first, starting in 2023, Medicare co-payments for insulin will be capped at $35. And then starting in 2024, the 5% coinsurance over the catastrophic threshold will be removed. In 2025, annual Part D out-of-pocket spending will be capped at $2,000. And in 2026, the government will begin negotiating Medicare prices for some high-cost drugs. And Proponents of drug pricing reform, of course, would have wanted this to go further. For example, they would have preferred that insulin prices be capped rather than co-pays, and that that cap extend to all people who need insulin rather than just Medicare beneficiaries. And the drug price negotiation is starting out relatively small with 10 drugs in the first year. But still, this law will have a very real and very positive impact on a lot of people. I think we've talked before about Stacey Dusetsina's study on prescription fill rates for high-cost drugs. One of the examples in her study is that 30% of cancer patients prescribed a high-cost prescription drug just never fill that prescription. I personally have a Medicare-enrolled loved one who is on the line for $15,000 out-of-pocket every year for a high-cost prescription cancer drug. So establishing an annual out-of-pocket max could significantly increase access to important drugs. 
So much so, in fact, that the Council of Economic Advisors at the White House announced that they expect the law to decrease cancer deaths in the U.S. in line with Biden's cancer moonshot. And the drug price negotiation is also a big deal. This has been a third rail for decades, and the fact that it actually passed is a sea change for Medicare drug pricing. Of course, it's going to face a lot of legal challenges, but that kind of underscores how significant it is. And as always, the devil is in the details. I'm curious to learn how they end up choosing which drugs to negotiate and laying out the regs for how negotiation works. That proposed rule from CMS is going to be poured over like a New York Times bestseller. And speaking of regs, there were a ton of proposed changes in the physician fee schedule this summer. Breda, what are you watching most closely for in the final rule? Well, there's the proposal to essentially revive the ACO investment model or AIM model, which provided upfront funding to low revenue and rural ACOs. And the PFS would expand that to be a permanent option under the Medicare Shared Savings Program. They're also starting to explore through the PFS this idea of an administratively set trend factor as a replacement to rebasing, which is an idea that came out of MedPAC recently. Yes, a lot of the changes that ACO advocates had been pushing for did make an appearance here. It shows that CMS is definitely listening. There was also requests for comments on changes to MIPS, including the development of health equity measures and how to encourage participation in advanced APMs with the sunset of the 5% bonus. MIPS and MACRA is definitely on people's minds. Congress just put out an RFI at the beginning of September looking for recommendations to improve both of these programs. Melissa, can you remind people what MIPS and MACRA are? Of course. MACRA is the Medicare and CHIP Reauthorization Act. It was passed in Congress in 2015 and changed the way physicians are compensated. It created the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, which just rolls off the tongue, that rewards or penalizes physicians through reimbursement based on their performance on certain quality measures, and created a bonus, or lump sum payment of 5%, based on last year's Part B payments, for providers that participate in an advanced APM, or an alternative payment model with more than nominal risk. And what's a headliner for advanced APMs? Well, ACO Reach. So it's been a very busy summer on that front with over 120 new prospective ACO Reach participants, finalizing provider lists for the 2023 participation year, and ACOs participating in the current performance year of the global and professional direct contracting model, wrestling to understand somewhat surprising retrospective trend adjustments. Yes, well... Some say it was expected, especially after what happened in the bundled payment for care improvement initiative, where a number of participants exited with the retrospective trend adjustment there. It still hit some participants hard when they got their quarter one reports and saw a 10% reduction in the benchmark. Yeah, it remains to be seen how much of this is going to come out in the wash as they potentially have other retrospective trend adjustments based on the utilization and what they're seeing after quarter one and into quarter two and three, or how much of it is stuff that really these participants maybe just need to prepare to expect that you have to prepare to expect the unexpected in these models as they are tests of change. 
Yeah, for sure. And participation in these models is only expected to grow. So right now there are only 99 direct contracting entities participating in global and professional direct contracting. But participation is expected to more than double in 2023 with the official transition to ACO reach. Not only are there going to be many more model participants, but of course there will also be design changes as the model transitions. And we are still waiting for the official announcement of performance from the first performance year of the direct contracting model 2021. Though we did get a sneak peek of that in this quarterly update that CMMI posted to the direct contracting site. And if it holds, it looks like we'll probably see small average savings of about 2% compared to benchmark in 2021. That's a bit lower than expected for both proponents and detractors of this model. We'll see how that affects future participation numbers. The administration is also looking for feedback in a number of other areas. Over the summer, the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health within the Department of Health and Human Services called for input on the future of primary care more generally. CMS is also seeking input on ways to improve and ensure equity in Medicare Advantage. This echoes some of the requests for comment we saw in the PFS around input for equity measurement in MIPS. Indeed, for those who love to read comments to government or comments on proposed rules, it's really been an exciting summer. And, you know, this call for information is not unexpected. It's one of the major ways that new administrations get feedback and insight from the industry to inform policymaking. So while a little bit later, maybe for the Biden administration to inform a lot of policy changes, I think it's good that we're seeing the pipeline fill with these comments direct from the field. And boy, are the comments coming. So some have shared what they returned to these RFIs publicly. And we hear some themes. For primary care, we hear calls for stable, more predictable budgets to include additional funding to support whole person care. So more money, but in a predictable set budget way that that's related to, but not entirely synonymous with capitation and downside risk. And this is coming from a reflection on how much burnout and fatigue there is post pandemic, given the labor shortages and the great resignation, and all the added time and effort that every great new idea for how we can address whole person care, how we can address health equity, how we can screen for SDOH, all, all leads back to a, a pretty jam-packed and limited and stressed out primary care visit. And so if we're wanting primary care to be the quarterbacks of health and the quarterbacks and the coaches and the and the coordinators, then they need time and space and, and, and money to invest in the infrastructure and the changes to their care practices. And that's what we're hearing repeated in many of the comments on primary care. Regarding MA... We see resurgence of the age-old debate. Is MA more or less expensive than traditional Medicare? We should devote an entire podcast episode to that question. But with MA comments on the RFI, we see calls to expand the use of special benefits, you know, potentially as a way for MA to drive significant gains in health equity. With the growth and spread of the MA population covered, we are seeing the MA population trend more diverse with greater health-related social needs. There's also a growing call for addressing prior authorization. In addition to benefit design and network management, utilization management through prior auth is really one of the main levers that MA plans pull to reduce medical spend. And recent studies have demonstrated that a significant number of denials have been found to be for care that would have been deemed medically necessary under traditional Medicare, heightening the concern and calls for change. 
those are some of the changes we'll be watching for. And this is only more important as Medicare Advantage is becoming an even larger share of the population due to lower premium options than traditional Medicare and some of those additional benefits. And this raises the question, what can be done in traditional Medicare to provide some of those benefits offered in MA? Part of the answer was alternative payment models like ACOs, where providers are able to offer additional services like transportation, meals, through Medicare payment waivers to produce better quality care and lower total costs. But some of the incentive structure around encouraging participation in these models, for instance, the 5% bonus, has sunsetted this year. Hence the reason why Congress and CMS are both looking for recommendations on ways to encourage participation in these models. Yes, so tons of information coming in to CMS and CMMI over the course of the summer and the next few months to inform what we hope will be an exciting 2023 in policymaking for Medicare. I want to return now to the Inflation Reduction Act and the changes to Part D as we welcome our guest interview today. Joining us today is Jason Rose, Chief Executive Officer of Adhere Health, a healthcare technology and telepharmacy solutions company focused on improving medication adherence. Previously, Jason served as the Chief Strategic Development Officer and Executive Vice President at Innovalon, where he scaled the company's product across the healthcare marketplace. Jason holds an MHSA from the George Washington University School of Business, and throughout his career as a healthcare IT innovator, he has worked on disruptive products from concept to sustainable solution. We talked with Jason this week about the impact to medication adherence and his business due to the changes expected from the Inflation Reduction Act. Jason, welcome. It's so good to have you here. Thank you for inviting me again. It's great to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. Jason, for those of you who don't know the work of your team at Adhere Health, can you tell us what Adhere Health does? Absolutely. Yeah. So Adhere Health is a medication adherence technology company. And so we have a platform called the Adhere Platform, and that focuses on identifying patients that have medication errors or medication issues where they're not taking their medications and it causes future spend that is avoidable. And so we work with primarily health plans and self-insured employers to identify where they have opportunities using data and analytics and clinical workflow technologies in our telepharmacy platform. Wonderful. And you and I have had a chance to talk before. This is a, a, there's a big opportunity with respect to medication management. Can you talk a little bit about how you think about the size of that opportunity and what's happening for our populations today in terms of their medication adherence? Yeah. And this is really our North Star. There's lots of different terminology for medication management. There was actually a health affairs article that just came out about a week ago or so on a comprehensive medication management or CMM. And it, the article was really right down the fairway for what we've been talking about for years is every year there is a half a trillion dollars of avoidable medical expense that is caused by non-adherence to drugs. Half a trillion is the kind of amount of money that I need like special visualizations for because it is just very difficult to wrap your head around how that is different from a dollar. Well, it's <laughs> about 20% aren't. of the U.S. healthcare spend. It's, it's a yeah. massive amount of money. It's literally one of the most important issues in healthcare. And so Adhere Health really focuses on how we can improve those outcomes that are, are so important. 
And when you talk about the cost and avoidable hospitalizations, I think too about just the patients and the lived experience. I mean, hopefully the drugs are doing something for them that is meaningful in their quality of life. And if they're not adhering to it, then, then that meaningful thing is potentially not happening. We think a lot at the Medicare meetup, of course, about Medicare populations. And so I'm wondering if you can take us down a level in talking about what Adhere Health does specifically for Medicare patients and populations. Yeah. So the health plans back in 2010, when the Affordable Care Act rolled out the new star rating systems, it put all the plans on equal footing to compete with each other based on quality. And the medication-related measures from a weighting perspective is 52% of all the weightings on those quality bonus payments. And so when we work with a Medicare Advantage plan, we are ingesting usually daily or weekly at the longest amount, all the pharmacy claims data to see what patients are taking and what patients are not taking in terms of their drugs. And so, for example, you've got a patient who's got diabetes. They should be taking their diabetes drug 80% of the year. We're tracking from a predictive analytics perspective that this patient is not taking their drugs every day because we can see that in refill rates. And our clinicians reach out to the patient or the doctor and discuss the importance of why that a drug should be taken. What we find though is, is it's not that necessarily only that they don't have the health literacy on this. There is a term that I like to use a semi-made up. It's the Maslow hierarchy of needs of healthcare. And so you think about Maslow, which is, you know, food, water, shelter. Well, in the, in Maslow hierarchy of needs for healthcare, you've got food insecurity, you've got shelter, safety, things of that nature. You've got transportation to the doctor or the pharmacy. You've got health equity issues related to having enough money to pay for the drugs or pay for their healthcare. You've got access. They may be living in a pharmacy desert where they can't get to a pharmacy. All these issues are really the social determinants of health, the SCOH problems, which many believe is 70% of the cause of a poor outcome is those kinds of issues. And so I like to try to break that down into how do we, when we reach out to that member, we're not just saying, hey, take your drugs and then hang up. That's not the phone call. Our phone calls, you might have five five, six calls a year on a given patient. And what we're doing is we're identifying of those barriers of care, food, water, shelter, transportation, access, et cetera, what is causing or what issues are causing that patient to be non-adherent. And we actually tackle them with the patient. And so we leverage every benefit possible and also all the social community services possible to overcome those problems so that they can be adherent. That's a really helpful summary and, and how Adhere Health is addressing Medicare population needs today. I'm wondering, as you think about the size of the opportunity for medication adherence to support healthcare outcomes in America and the ways we're, we're working with Medicare populations today, how much of the possibility of medication adherence improving healthcare are we really tapping? Now, are we working hard for 80% of the lives out there right now or help our listeners understand where you think we are in that life cycle? There are roughly, I think it's 60 million Medicare beneficiaries in the United States today. It grows every year with the aging baby boomer population. About 28 million of them are in a Medicare Advantage plan. 
And those Medicare Advantage plans are, are heavily incented by the star ratings to improve these outcomes. Whereas if you're not in a Medicare Advantage plan, you're in a traditional Medicare fee-for-service, you're not going to get any of this a coordination of care and support and drive. So you've got 30, 40 million people who really don't have any support to drive medication adherence. And so providers need help as well. They need intelligence. And so when you think about the Medicare Advantage side and you go back to the star ratings, the latest news about a week and a half ago was CMS started rolling out their newest performance cut points for adherence. And of the 53 or so measures in star ratings, there are about three of them. There are exactly three of them, actually, that are adherence related. And those three plus a statin measure as well, the four measures became much harder to actually do better than the rest of the country. So you have to be in the 90 plus percent range of your patients who should be taking this drug that are taking the drug to be esteemed as one of the best plans in the country. It's called five stars. And so what the government is saying is this is the most important thing for all Medicare Advantage plans is to focus on how do we get more patients? We're already at the 90% level. So they're really driving the needle to get there. So I think that we are, I'd say at the very beginning of a, a long road to improve adherence. We have a lot of listeners who come from value-based care spaces. So when, when you were talking a moment ago about the incentives that are aligned there and that the government has put a more focused energy around with respect to medication adherence and Medicare Advantage, we also have a lot of folks in our audience who are participating in value-based payment or alternative payment models in traditional Medicare where drug costs themselves are not factored in. I'm wondering if you think there is sufficient incentive in total cost of care models that exclude drug costs to still engage in med adherence? Or if you think that there are barriers in alternative payment models to really focusing on medication adherence as much as would be helpful? Well, yeah. So obviously one of the main factors of non-adherence is they can't afford the drug. And so you know, what Adhere Health does is we look to find financial assistance for that particular patient to help them get payment for the drug. And some health plans also take those drug costs and they make it a $0 copay to incent. And so there are models that BBC providers can take to identify these types of issues, but they're not easy. Sort of like on the good news side is drug pricing in terms of the drug costs. If it's not included in the benchmark for the value-based care payment system, then they're not going to be as focused on if they got patients on the right medications, then the drug costs go up and you have to offset that by the medical costs going down. And so we do that for our clients as well, as you, it's, and it's still a four to one ROI. But when you take into account the actual drug costs themselves, it's not easy. So the, uh, the regulations around drug prices from prior to the, uh, the recent legislation on the Inflation Reduction Act, Prior to that, they required all the electronic health record systems to include drug substitutions for the doctor at the point of prescription to choose potentially lower cost drugs for the patient, which is a great idea when you're writing a, an essay. <laughs> but in practicality, think about patients who are on a drug already. Well, that doctor is not going into their electronic health record system for just refills and, and you know, keeping the patient on. So you've lost the vast majority of anyone unless they have a new drug. And so some of the new regs that continue to come out are really supporting that, but we're extremely new into that, that path. 
I heard you say a few things there, you know, for the value-based care organization that's not an MA plan that's treating Medicare, traditional Medicare patients, while it's a barrier that perhaps there's not enough focus in the programs on medication adherence and what it might do, there is perhaps a silver lining in that since you are not responsible for the drug cost in your total cost of care measure, you can leverage medication adherence to help improve sort of right care, right place, right time and health outcome goals without having to sort of be also on the hook for what did that cost in the medication space and and that that might actually be a little bit easier. And so perhaps a reason for even those who are not in a Medicare Advantage plan to be thinking about, are you leveraging medication adherence enough? And what are you doing to help use that tool in the box? If I think about the journey of value-based care over the last 15 years, I think, you know, we all started running after complex care, maintaining a continuous relationship with a patient, focusing on those who were highest risk, highest need with some sort of extra coordination. We pivoted a bit to skilled nursing facilities and how how we help with those discharges and handoffs, you know, in a post-acute care space. I think medication adherence is still a space where there's not a lot being done in value-based care and, and that part of our healthcare ecosystem doesn't necessarily understand the path to how does this help me improve my hospitalization rates, my ED utilization, you know, how did, how can it help support success in the quality measures, which aren't as aligned as they should be, but, but are increasingly more aligned across programs. You mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. And so let's take a moment to talk about that. We did earlier in the podcast kind of go through, you know, the, the individual changes uh, associated with Part D as part of that act. I'm curious how you at Adhere Health see those changes impacting your industry and what you're anticipating on the horizon different from before the act passed. Yeah, I well, first of all, I applaud it. It's uh overdue and, and necessary. It, it's another indication of the government recognizing the half a trillion dollars a year avoidable costs. So, and if you can't pay for your drugs, then it makes it much more challenging to actually be adherent. I think the spirit of the legislation is terrific. I frankly don't think it's enough, but there are some really good things in, in the law. I mean, you know, the insulin cap at $35, I mean, that's that, that's definitely in the right direction. It's a third of the cost of a generic, every average cost today for an insulin shot. So a $2,000 limit on out-of-pocket Medicare is absolutely a big deal. When you think about the the kind of the more advanced areas that I, I particularly think that's not enough is the negotiation of the prescription drug prices it is moving in the right direction. It's a long time in the making on allowing Medicare to really do that negotiation, but it's actually not attacking the bigger issue of negotiating power. And so I don't think it's enough, but it is a move in the right direction. I think that will help us long-term adhere health in terms of what we're trying to do. If we can point to these lower costs and we can take one of those Maslow items off the table. That'd be terrific. So it's moving in the right direction. You and I have talked a few times about medication adherence at the forefront of addressing health. I'm curious, you know, you've mentioned a few times today the social determinants of health and Maslow's hierarchy of health needs. And I'm curious, based on your data and experience at Adhere, you know, what are you seeing and, and how are you helping to address health disparities for the populations you serve? 
Uh, in addition to being a healthcare tech company, we also own a dispensing pharmacy that, that dispenses to 48 states for underserved, impoverished members or patients. So I think it's almost 100%, if not 100% of our pharmacy patients are either a dual or a Medicaid member or an exchange member, which are right, really about below the poverty line. And so during the pandemic, you know, these patients were frankly you know, left behind. And so we put a lot of effort into going to the local communities and in the regions that we cover to actually provide COVID vaccines. We had a couple of Wall Street Journal articles written up about us, about this, at the innovation of how do you get the COVID vaccine to these rural areas and make sure that the temperature of the, of the COVID vaccine is appropriate and get the word out and things like that. So we went to a bunch of small towns across America to get COVID vaccines to also help them with medication issues. So we're very much focused on that. The term, I, I, I didn't write it, but I, I, I think it really makes sense. It's not the genetic code, it's the zip code. And so we have an opportunity now with these patients who are not getting their healthcare needs met for lots of different reasons and focus on them through whether it be regulation or policy or with respect to doing the right thing uh, for humankind to focus on them. And there is a cost improvement there. It's not just do-gooder stuff. This is half a trillion dollars a year of avoidable medical costs if we do those things. And yes, it's not easy, but it's possible because we're doing it today. And so I, I truly believe that it's, it just takes work and trial and error, and, but it, it, is, it is a primary focus of our company. I think that's a great mantra to end on. It's not easy, but it's possible. Absolutely. Jason, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You've mentioned a number of articles, so listeners will be sure to include links to that in our show notes. And I expect we're going to be talking to you in the future, Jason. So thanks so much for spending the time. Great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Listeners, for more information about the MedAdherence program with Adhere Health, you can check them out at www.adherehealth.com. And that's a wrap for us on the season three opener. Thanks for tuning in today. To suggest a topic or guest, you can always reach us at medicare at arrarahealth.com. That's medicare at A-U-R-R-E-R-A-Health.com.